Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. We'll continue our enduring support for Ukraine. Putin in Russia. China should not provide support. What happened at the train crash. The people of East Palestine, you are not forgotten. Unfortunately, they don't think the government's listening to them. It's winter weather systems. Impacting travel in a big way. As well as the shootings this afternoon. Millions of dollars that were transferred into the Biden family accounts. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome back. It is uh, 5 o'clock. That means we've got a full hour of News and Views. Uh, Benny is back. Clark is here. And uh, got a special legislative update from uh, North Carolina Senator Jim Perry, who's on the line with us now. Jim represents the North Carolina District 2 in the Senate, which represents Beaufort, Craven, and Lenore counties. Uh, Senator Perry, welcome back. Good to have you with us again. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, There is a a lot going on up in the uh, legislature, and on the Senate side there's a lot going on. Uh, You all hit the ground running, I must say. Uh, Of all the things that have happened so far, the thing that is sort of making me scratch my head, Jim, is I'm rather surprised to see what appears to be a real eagerness by some of the Republican leadership to uh, be promoting an expansion of Medicaid. What's the thinking behind that? So that, that bill actually came from the, the House side, uh, and it was I was a little surprised by parts of it myself. It, it is based upon the, the knowledge that they can uh, get a 90-10 match and just under about a $2 billion cash incentive from the feds, you know, for, for years they felt like this this match will never last. It'll never last. Uh, but you've had Republicans in charge, you've had Democrats in charge, and nothing has changed. And they look at healthcare costs continuing to explode. Uh, some new information from us was the impact on our our property taxes uh, because of having to pay for healthcare in the jails. That's uh, about two to three pennies on average on your ad valorem tax rate. Uh, that you're you're having to pay uh, out of you know real state uh, or, or real individual dollars, and also we pay about 354 million uh, for inmate care in the state. So they they started looking at that, looking at all these federal mandates we have. Uh, Reagan went during the Reagan administration they put Impala on us, which required if, if someone was on the grounds of a hospital. They had to be given care regardless of their ability to pay. Well, you know, somebody's paying for that, right. and, and and it's us. So, you know, they, they look at the, how health care is really financed and, and that you and I, when we pay for commercial insurance, we're paying more because of cost shift. You know, if you have somebody to the and, and they're seen, if they don't pay, somebody still paid that nurse. Somebody still paid that doctor. And what they're, they're doing is they're shifting that cost to our commercial insurance. You know, so it's you know it's complicated as can be, but I, I was very disappointed to see a version come out of the house without a a work requirement. Um, a work requirement is what I have discussed with with my constituents. It's what I've polled. Uh, you, you take that work requirement out, and that's that's a that's a game changer for me. One of the interesting things about that, we were talking to uh, Keith Kidwell about this last week, was the fact that. Uh, they're saying if the 9010 uh, reimbursement from the federal government were ever to drop out, then 
they would expedite getting out of this. And you and I both know that is, you might be able to promise that, but when the time comes, that's not likely. So I don't, I haven't read the House bill. I just found out about the work requirement. I know the Senate one that was discussed last year, there was an automatic trigger, so it wouldn't require a vote, wouldn't require action. Uh, because those things are always problematic, right? Somebody always wants something to continue. So if you don't put that trigger into law, uh, I, I think that it is, it is more concerning. Do you think it's going to pass the Senate? Uh, no, no, I don't think that bill will be taken up. Uh, and that, that's something that, that most folks don't, don't really recognize about when we pass bills in the General Assembly. Uh, I, I standalone bill of that nature, I would say there's a 5% chance it, it would be taken up in the Senate, just like when the Senate sent one over to the House. Um, I'd say it's probably 5% then, but, uh, they, they do use that type of legislation as conversation starters and try to educate people and get the information out there and, and see what the, what the people think about it. So, so that's curious. So you're saying the last time this happened, it started in the Senate and the House wouldn't pass it, and, and this time it's the other way around. Well, the, so and, and the, so here's another thing about bills. Everyone says, hey, well, you know, I don't want you to vote for this, or I do want you to vote for that. I mean, rarely do we see standalone bills with only one issue in them. Hmm. So the Senate sent over a bill with, with CON reform and some additional um, – uh, language in there on Save Act and some other things that they felt, if you add them all together, could help reduce uh, healthcare costs. You know, these are these are old conversations they've been having for years, and uh, kind of jousting back and forth on different topics. Uh, it could be pretty frustrating. Uh, Jim, this is Benny. So, so as I understand it, uh, we're still in a, in a budget year where the Senate the Senate is responsible for the budget because uh, last year was the first year. This is the second year of that. Is that correct? Uh, no, no. So this, this is a brand-new biennium, the so first, first year of the long session. So the Senate started last biennium, so the House will begin the budget this time. Oh, okay. So well, that, that – that was kind of my question: was uh, you know, you know, with the, what would the Senate do? Because obviously it involves money. This this definitely involves money, so something definitely come from the Senate side. One thing you mentioned: the certificate of needs. Um, obviously, that's kind of a highly debated thing. There was an article in the Carolina Journal today about a doctor in Fayetteville, you know, talk about certificate of need process and and how it would help him practice better and 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 that type of thing. I, I don't have the healthcare experience that I used to early in my career. First ten years, I spent a lot, lot of time in healthcare, and back then I, I, I saw three types of people. When it comes to certificates needs, those that had them, those that wanted them, and those that couldn't get them. So I mean, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, d- different markets uh, they mean different things. Um, right. For Eastern North Carolina, what what would it mean if if you know we take a hard line and say you know what the certificate of need process is out to win a there's no certificate of need process. What would that mean for the health care providers in eastern North Carolina? You know, I, I think it would mean something very different than what we see in, like, a, a Wake County or a Mecklenburg County. Um, you know, I, I'll give you an example. Like, over in Beaufort, that hospital, or Lenore Memorial, because they have such a, a, a poor uh, in terms of a mix of commercial payers and uh, government payer and then no payer, 
Um, I, you know, I, I worry about what could happen with that. I, I think you'd see certain aspects of health care that would certainly be cheaper. It, like, you know, if an orthopedist opened an ambulatory surgery center, I think no doubt you'd see some cheaper knees or hip replacements. But knowing how the, the finance of health care works, uh, you could lose some service lines at that hospital. Uh, we're not going to see a rush of people wanting to build things in, in a county that's losing population, aging, and doesn't have much commercial insurance. It's just not a good financial bet for them uh, long term. So it, it's a, a lot different impact here than it, it would be in Wake and Mecklenburg County. You know, ancillary services, probably not that big a deal. Like I've seen some things about eye surgeries and, and things of that nature um, I, I think would be fine. It's complicated to start unwinding uh, regulations. There, there's always unintended consequences. There's some good aspects of it. There's some bad. Uh, I, I would want to have a plan for how we stabilize rural health care because if we don't have rural health care, you, you think it's hard to get people to move to the rural areas now. Uh, older folks don't want to live somewhere where they, they don't have access to health care. Right. Very much. Hey, while we're on the medical issue, um, SB3, the North Carolina Compassionate Care Act, which is basically legalizing the use of marijuana for medical purposes, how controversial is that? Do you think this is going to pass? So, you know, controversy is always dependent upon who you ask. Um, That thing polls at like 80% in the state, which I've never seen anything poll that high, and, and I think it's because we all have someone that's been impacted by some terrible disease. You know, I, I've lost right. my father to cancer. Um, the the sponsor is a, a cancer survivor. It becomes, it becomes very emotional. Um, and when we, we think about opioid addiction, and we think we just spent three years talking about the right to have medical freedom, um, I, I get those arguments. You know, I, I understand it. I uh, also can appreciate somebody saying, hey, this is a, this is a, we're concerned it's a gateway to legalization. Right. Or recreational marijuana. I, I you know, I, I don't know anyone in my caucus that has any appetite to vote to legalize, uh, recreational marijuana, but I also don't know anyone in my caucus that hasn't looked at a family member, uh, with, with pain or, dealing with cancer and nausea and you know when it's your family member you you want to do whatever you can to help them sure so i i think it's i think it's, it's complicated I, i've seen folks really kind of change their thoughts on the issue um when it's impacted them personally and those are sincerely held beliefs and i i've looked in the eyes of, of friends who have sincerely held beliefs that you know, it, it could be bad uh, for their family members. So it's, that's, a, that's a tough topic, but from a acceptance by North Carolina, I, I've never seen anything hit 80% before, never. Well, let me ask you two questions related to that. What kind of teeth will you have in that bill to make sure that, let's say you get a medical card if you're, uh, if you're uh, uh, in a situation that you're allowed to buy medical marijuana, what if someone had a fraudulent card and you know said, "Hey, I, I have the legal right to buy this," and they're caught? What kind of teeth is there in this bill to make sure that person is punished to the point that they won't do it? 
And also, the other question I would have is, how would you distribute this medical marijuana? So, the, and I, I'm not an expert on the bill. Um, that one's not not mine. But there were, I think they set up up to ten licenses, and each license could have, um, off the top of my head now, maybe ten dispensaries. Some had to be located in in tier one uh, counties, and you, you have to have a doctor's prescription. And it was limited to uh, certain uh, diseases. You know, it wasn't just uh, stress or you know chronic pain or, or things of that that nature. Uh, and they they did have some penalties in there. I, I forget which class of felony uh, it would be, but it, it it leaves all the existing laws. Uh, for marijuana possession in place, except for those that have this um, authentic uh, ID card that, that that you get with the uh, prescription from the uh, the medical doctor. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're told in committees that it is the most restrictive in the United States. We're talking to uh, Senator Jim Perry with a North Carolina legislative update, Benny. Yeah, speaking of that, Jim, um, I think it was earlier this week, uh, Dr. Tim Reeder, which is a representative from uh, Pitt County, was on Henry's show, and he, he mentioned that you know he had he had some concern as a medical doctor uh, not uh, you know being involved in that process. Um, and, and in the Carolina Journal today, it talked about um, the creation of a, a medical cannabis production commission, and, and to what you were just speaking of, it says uh, commission would would issue up to 10 supplier licenses throughout the state, of which uh, each could operate no more than four centers, and uh, 10% of their gross revenue goes to the Department of Health and Human Services, which I assume is to monitor this and uh, and that type of thing. So uh, just just to follow up, I know you said that's not your bill, but that's what was in the in the Carolina Journal sure. today, and I hadn't read the bill either, but uh, it sounds like they're putting up some guardrails on this anyway with this particular bill. A bill well, that, I, go ahead. Jim. I think I think they're I think they're they're trying. I think that's an honest effort on their part. Uh, I don't for um, ideologically opposed to it. I, I don't know that there's any guardrail that you know would would be enough for them. Uh, and it, it's it's amazing. You know, you sit in committee and and to hear some speak, we're just making it way too hard. And there's folks who aren't going to be able to get it, or a farmers not going to be able to grow it, and it's it's absurd, and then to hear others speak, um, you know, it's it's absurd to even even consider it. So there, there's certainly some polarizing thought on that, but it's a small percentage. I mean, I'm again, I'm I'm just shocked at the number of people who say if it's uh, by prescription from a, a medical doctor to you know limited um, maladies that they're okay with it. A bill that you are very familiar with is Senate Bill 688, which would legalize sports betting. Um, this is an interesting bill. What what kind of uh, – you, you said the medical marijuana had a, a favorability of 80%. What, what kind of response are you getting to this uh, legalized betting bill? And the other question I have to this is, is, is this going to be open for all collegiate sports and professional sports, or is it some limitations? So that that was a bill from last session. That that bill is dead. Okay. Um, so unless somebody files a, a new one, which you know I keep reading that uh, one will be filed in the House, uh, then the the issue will not come up in the Senate. Uh, I'm not going to file it again. 
I filed it and had the conversations and, and got the feedback and uh, you know, ran it through committee and talked with constituents. And it, it, it is something that over the last year um, I've seen the, the favorability change on it as you know, a lot of people thought we didn't have sports betting in our state. Oh, we uh, do, but, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we do. Uh, and we actually had legal and illegal, but yeah, we we do have it. It's, it's very prevalent, and it is a it's a, a, a higher um, in, in terms of demographics. It, it's it's a higher education level than the average citizen. Higher income levels. I mean, they, these people see it as entertainment, uh, and folks tend to be okay with it being uh, regulated and taxed. Um, there's not as high of support for it, but it is or the majority. The highest I've seen on that is, is a low 60, like 61%. Yeah, I was under the impression you were bringing that back. I didn't realize that was not coming back up in this uh, this session. Uh, let's you talk. Know, I was asked to explore the, the, the idea and, and, you know, consider the tax impact uh, for various things for the rural areas. Well, I, I explored it. Um, I, I'm not a sports better. Uh, if you want to spend your money that way, I'm, I'm not opposed to it. You, you do what you want to do. But uh, I spent my time on that bill. So somebody else can look into it if they want. To. Let's talk a little bit about the Parents' Bill of Rights. I mean, this just seems like a no, not uh, a, a common sense bill uh, that would reinstate. Uh, what ought to be the obvious anyway, that is parents have the final say over their kids. It's sort of a sad state of affairs that we have got to codify this in, in a state law, but that's where we are as a nation, unfortunately, as a culture. Uh, is, is this, I mean, it seems like it makes a lot of sense to me. Does it make a lot of sense to everybody in Raleigh? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, not, not everyone. Uh, it becomes a political issue. But at, at the very core of that bill, what it said was, we want our children to be allowed to be children. Mm-hmm. We don't want you. And it didn't say you can't talk to them about uh, homosexuality or or, or uh, trans individuals. That's not what it said. It said when a kid is six, seven, eight years old, we don't want you having those conversations as part of the curriculum at school. You just can't be, you know, you can't be building that in to teach them. That's not your place. If a parent feels that that is age appropriate to have that conversation with a child that's for mom and dad mom and dad own the birds and the bees at that age and it should not be part of our schools i don't know why in the world that would be controversial kids that age need to be throwing dirt clogs and playing with mud pies and you know playing freeze tag in the yard not not getting into those subjects and, and working on reading and math scores. Cause, you know, hey, that's yeah. that's novel. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, if the ACLU is is against this bill, you know it's got to have something good in it. Yeah, that's right. Well, there's also a bill coming out of the House related to uh, making it illegal for any minors to receive any kind of transgender surgery or uh, chemicals or any kind of medication. Uh, that that is coming out of the house, I believe. Now that's probably more. Although there are a lot of states that are uh, passing this kind of legislation, do you have any uh, thoughts on on that and whether the Senate would take that up? Yeah, I, I support legislation of that nature too. You can't tell me that a kid under 18 years old can't have a tattoo, but it's okay to make life-changing decisions about their body at that age. Yeah. I mean, look, when I when I was uh, 
14 years old, you know, I, I ran with scissors and played with matches. We, we don't make the best decisions in the world. Uh, I noticed Governor Cooper was making announcements about, like, the, the Second Chance Act, things of that nature, and talking about how science has proven that, you know, the immature brain just – we don't make good decisions when we're young. Well, I, I mean, I, I just think it's absurd that we've even got to say that a, a, a kid – doesn't need to be making those kind of decisions at that point in their life. Again, get a tattoo, you can't get in a in a tanning bed yeah. before you're 18, but you can do that. Yeah. I mean that's that's just that's crazy. Hey Jim, uh, you know you're over in Lenore County, and your district now includes uh, includes areas areas that uh, other than Lenore County that's been impacted by hurricanes over the years. Today, the Carolina Journal talked about uh, a report came out that. You know, we spent North Carolina like $15 million on putting people up uh, in, in hotel rooms uh, before they could get back in their homes. What um, what what are you guys working on, uh, either on the Senate side or House side that you're hearing of, of how how we can just do a better job? And, and when I say we, it's really, uh, it falls on the governor's office. I mean, Hurricane Matthew in Florence, um, I, I think it. I think maybe Hurricane Matthew money is still sitting around. It was at one time. What what can we do a better job of when when things happen like this? Uh, what can you guys on the on the House and Senate side do to make sure that the governor does a better job of uh, of you know getting money to the people that need it? Get a new governor. Yeah, well, I was about to say <laughs> that was obvious. New governor in twenty four. Um, so it look is is very complicated. I'm not giving uh, them any outs or allowing any excuses. It's a lot easier to spend the state dollars. There's not as many uh, parameters attached to it. You get in those FEMA programs, those federal programs, it is it is messy. It is the program of last resort, so it's always going to be, you know, long after the fact. But where we are is ridiculous. Uh, I do think they can streamline a, a lot of the procedures that they use internally, even with federal money. I think we can streamline. God, I hope we never use this housing situation again. Uh, but we're, we're trying to work on process and, and separation of the two buckets between the state and federal and better communication with the individuals. I, I can't tell you how many people have become frustrated because they've sent in their paperwork, they've done everything they're asked, and then it's lost, you know, and then they're asked to send it again, and now their appraisal's no good because it's too long, you know, it's been too long. It is an incredibly frustrating process. We can codify as much as we can into law. What we can't do because of separation of powers is is take over and have day-to-day responsibility for that division. So we're, we're always going to need someone in the governor's office that is going to make this a priority to, to get money out and to help people when we experience these things. Real quickly, before we let you go, because I know it's important to a lot of our listeners, Senate Bill 40 and 41 both really embrace the expansion of, of gun rights, responsible gun rights. Or do you think those are going to pass? Uh, one, one way or another. You know, I was a, a sponsor of, of both of those bills uh, in the Senate. I, I, I think it makes sense. You know, 47 other states don't require anyone to go to a sheriff's office to get a, a permit uh, in addition to having that, that background check. Right. 47 other states. This really is a, a relic of the past, and I, I think that it's uh, it's a little overblown about the concerns. And there is no way that Roy Cooper can again say that the, the, the church safety bill is about guns in schools. I think everyone's seen through that. 
and realizes, no, this is really about equal protection for people who want to attend church and for churches who want to allow guns. It's not a mandate saying they got to have them, but they should have the same right as everyone else. Bingo. Hey, this isn't, you can't control this next question, but before we go, uh, you think by the time we get to next November, we will have voter ID and the North Carolina legislature will be in charge of elections? Uh, I would think that we will have voter ID for the, the next election. That is, you know, that's just my guess. Uh, I, we, we will see if the, the Board of Elections follows the law and the new laws that we'll be putting out to continue to talk. You know, that probably should be a nonpartisan board. We, we've tried to do that before. Governor Cooper has not agreed. Uh, but we will be passing additional legislation this year to try to fill some of those holes that they've poked into it over time. Very good. Senator Jim Perry, thank you, sir, for your time. We kept you over longer than we uh, said we would, but uh, always good to have you with us. Thanks for the update. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Stay with us. Benny and I will be right back. I'm always reluctant after being here 37 years to tell people what the American people think. Uh, and I don't. I can't swear I do. I know what I think. I think I know what they think, but I'm not sure what they think. Welcome back in. This it is Eastern oh, Carolina sorry. News and Views. <laughs> a little anxious there. Didn't mean to interrupt uh, our announcer. Uh, taking a quick look at your weather forecast uh, tonight, it's going to be pretty pleasant. Uh, 61 degrees and uh, mostly sunny tomorrow with a high near 77. Then tomorrow night it starts to cool down and the rain comes in sometime late in the uh, night, overnight uh, tomorrow night. Saturday rain likely mainly afternoon, a high of Saturday, only 49 degrees. Saturday night, uh, again, a low of 41 with a chance of rain continuing. Sunday, it warms up and the sun comes out. We'll see a high uh, Sunday of 65 degrees. Hmm. Overall, I can't complain about the weather. Uh, it's been pretty nice this week. It seems like it's a trend, though. It, it warms. The weekends got yeah. cold and rainy, and yeah. the weekdays are nice and pleasant. I was thinking there's a big uh, baseball game in town this weekend. University of North Carolina is playing right. a three-game series. And, uh, is it two here and one there? Uh, supposed to be two here and one there. Supposed to be Friday, Saturday. It looks like Saturday. You know, it might be a rain out. Yeah. <laughs> but wow. it's been you know, 80, 85 all week and beautiful. And they now, might want to try to get a doubleheader in tomorrow. Uh, I think that's the talk. I think they're trying to push it back the decision as late as possible. No, a 77 tomorrow, that'd be nice. Good good baseball weather. Weather brought to you by our friends at the Ironwood Golf and Country Club. As the weather gets warmer and life gets busier, you deserve time to relax and have some fun. Ironwood Golf and Country Club invites you to become a member and make new traditions with your family and friends on the course, in the pool, at the courts, or while enjoying a meal with beautiful views. Ironwood offers a variety of memberships with no initiation fee required. Contact membership director Jenna Doyle to become an Ironwood Golf and Country Club member today. Her number is 752-4653, extension 202. So we have been saying for some time now that the current administration is not the Biden administration, but rather <laughs> the third term of the Obama administration. Earlier today, Karina Jean-Pierre verified that fact for us. Cut one. 
So today, as you all saw just an hour or so ago, President Obama announced that, pardon me, President Biden, whoa, <laughs> that is news. <clears throat> I know, I know, we're going back, not forwards, we got to go forwards. Okay, President Biden announced that the United States is nominating Ajay Banga to be president of the World Bank. Um, no, no, no. Oh, man. Uh, really, I, I'm trying to make too big of a deal of that, but why, when she, I, I mean, it's not like she has ever worked, supposedly ever worked for Obama, right? She, she actually did. She did? Yeah, she worked okay. She worked in his campaign, and she did something. She had something. But, but not on a day-to-day basis, like she's working for Biden. I think she was in the White House, but I mean, she would, certainly didn't have the job she has now, but, uh, but still, <laughs> you know, that's been uh, how many years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Four, six, uh, six years ago yeah. at least. I, I, I mean, one wonders, is there actually a connection there? Oh, now, there now is maybe, the, maybe the connection is uh, whatever cognitive ailment Biden has is contagious. <laughs> That's a possibility. You remember when, uh, you remember when Sarah Palin was having problems saying, uh, instead of Joe Biden, she, she was saying, oh, oh, Biden, you know, yeah, she was yeah, having yeah. a problem with that. So she, uh, <laughs> it, you know, she, I think she called him Joe. May I call you Joe? So she wouldn't uh, mess that up. Interesting story out of the Carolina Journal. The University of North Carolina System Board of Governors unanimously, unanimously approved a new policy. That was today they approved it. Yeah. Banning schools from forcing employees or applicants to agree with certain political viewpoints as a condition of employment or acceptance as a student. The Board of Governors okayed the policy as a part of a, a, a consent agenda without debate. The policy prohibits any school from forcing individuals to uh, firmly ascribe or to opine about beliefs affiliations, ideals, or principles regarding matters of contemporary political debate or social action as a condition to admission, employment, or professional advancement. Now, listen, I know of no conservative that would, I'm sorry, I just don't know of any conservative that would say, uh, you know, you've got to bow the knee to MAGA, you know, make America great again, or, or whatever the issue would be. And now I don't know of any Democrat that would come out, any progressive that would come out and openly admit that you have to conform with the ideology of uh, liberalism. But but behind closed doors, they would make sure you don't get the job or you don't get the promotion or you don't get the acceptance letter. Uh, But it's hard to imagine. I mean, kudos to the University of North Carolina Board of Governors. Kudos to them for doing this. But it is it is totally frustrating that they have to do it. It is. And, you know, a couple of days ago, you know, NC State had as part of their application process, the the applicants had to write a 250-word uh, essay on what, you know, DEI or uh, diversity, equity, inclusion right. meant to them. And, of course, they got so much pushback. Uh, about two days ago, they said, okay, we're, we're ending that process. And wasn't there something similar to that in the medical field? Uh, at UNC Chapel Hill, yeah. I think there's something similar to that yeah. at UNC Chapel Hill. If um, you're going to get accepted <clears throat> to the medical school. And, you know, this this DEI process all over all over the university system is just getting, uh, I think, abused. And I think, <laughs> I mean, I think pretty soon we'll, we'll hear more and more about this and uh, 
people people have got to start standing up and saying that hey, it's ridiculous. It's it's they're really using it. The left is using it. The progressive left is using it to divide people on race. Bingo. And that's purely what they're well, doing. Well, they're trying to punish those people that don't uh, em- embrace their ideology. Hey, let's play a little political trivia, shall we? Five six one eight two five five is the number to call. Your category. American resourcefulness, okay? 561-8255, political trivia when we get back. All right, welcome back in. Time for a little political trivia. 561-8255 is the number to call. I think we have a line open yet. Uh, your prize package includes a free oil change for your car or pickup at Dave Davis's East Carolina Chrysler Dodge Jeep or Washington Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. A gift certificate from Fit for Life, including two free training sessions with a coach. A $20 gift card to Mucho Bueno in Havelock or El Mexicano in Newport. A $20 gift card to Gwendy's Goodies Bakery in Aden. An Ironwood Golf gift certificate, a $100 certificate for tax services at any of the area Kidwell H&R Block offices. Remember, if you or anyone in your immediate family have one recently, let 60 days pass before you play again. First up from Vanceboro, we have Justin on the line. Hey, Justin. Hey, Justin. Hey, guys. You ready to play? I am. All right, your category, American Resourcefulness. Here's your question. It's a long one. Pay attention. (laughs) 145 years ago this week, in 1878, the very first version of this resource was released. It was designed to make life easier and more orderly. It became more and more popular throughout the 20th century. Fifty years ago, people used this resource on practically a daily basis. However, in the early part of the 21st century, its popularity began to wane to the point where you rarely see this resource anymore. What resource are we talking about? Um, a, a ledger or a Rolodex? That is a great guess. Hmm. That is a great guess, and you're right. And you're actually sort of warm. You're actually in the right zip code, but that's not what we're looking for. Thanks, Justin. 561-8255, that opens up a line. Let's go to Gary in Grantsboro. Hey, Gary. Hey, Gary. Hey, this is a long shot, but I'm going to say a phone operator. You are really close. That's not it either. But, yeah, uh, you are really, really close, and that is a great hint. Uh, thanks for uh, give it a shot. You help somebody. Give us a call back real quick. Maybe we can get you back in. 561-8255 is the number to call. Uh, this is a resource that, as I say, it's uh, not too popular today. You rarely see it anymore. Fifty years ago, people used it all the time. You speak- 561-8255. Let's go to Patrick. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Patrick. Hey. You hear the question? Yes, sir. All right. What do you think? A phone book. You got it. That's it. A phone book. The first phone book uh, came along 145 years ago up in uh, New Hampshire. No, it was in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, first one contained 50 numbers, 11 homes, 38 businesses, and the police department. And, uh, yeah, it's a bygone deal. In fact, as soon as I get my phone, I, I, I still get one at the office. Yeah, think about all the jobs that people used to have selling ads. Oh, yeah. You know that? Selling oh, yeah. ads. Yeah, you used to get it for free, and yeah. uh, now you just sort of toss it. The uh, <laughs> Internet has done away with the phone book. Hey, where are you calling from, Patrick? 
Edenton. All right, Patrick and Edenton, hang on the line, and Clark's going to get all your info. Uh, sorry for all you folks that uh, didn't get in because Patrick stole your thunder. Stay with us. Benny and I'll be right back. In a show that really makes you think. He is a genius. He's all powerful. He brought a kind of heat. He could be the best. Just don't hurt yourself, okay? More news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Congratulations to Patrick Bass of Edenton, North Carolina. You got it right. 145 years ago, uh, the telephone book was introduced. And, uh, you know, in its heyday, the yellow pages, let your fingers do the walking, was the uh, mantra. Yeah, and, and I thought, you know, at one time we thought we were cutting edge when we had the small ones in our car for for our cell phone. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was before you could just say, uh, hey, Siri, what is Keith Kidwell's phone number? There you go. Order? There you go. <laughs> Transportation Secretary Pothole Pete. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens when you say that? Yeah. He's, he said, "Hey Siri," and what happened? Now mine's probably gonna go off. <laughs> don't you know? Don't you know Joe Biden? Don't you know he has some Siri Siri mess ups all the time? Now watch he, it. He's gonna talk to you again. Oh, okay. Yeah. Be <laughs> Come on, oh, man. <laughs> Pete Pothole Pete finally made it to East Palestine. He was up there earlier today. He would not answer questions from the press. And his press secretary, Carrie Arndt, she was unwilling to answer questions if they were being recorded. Here she is, cut two. Mayor Pete, why did it take you an entire two and a half weeks to actually get here to respond to East Palestine? Will you apologize to the residents of this city for, for the, the, the slow response? To the government's slow response, do you have any apologies? I'm the press person, I can help you. Sure, I'm sure, sure, sure. So, can, can, can we ask why it took him almost three weeks to get here? I'm sorry, I don't want to do this on camera. What was his personal time off while there was a tragedy happening here? And can we also ask, too, why it, uh, you know, he waited until President Donald Trump came here to actually make an appearance? This is a very important question that people across America would like to know. I'm happy to have a conversation with you. I do not want to be on camera. Well, please put your cameras away. I'm sorry, we're on a public area, uh, so we are allowed as press. You guys, I would like you guys to turn your cameras off. You're on my camera. Well, I'm on a camera. I would like your cameras to be off, and then I'm happy to talk to you guys. Well, if you're the press secretary of the secretary of the Department of Transportation, don't you think you should be able to ask questions from the American public that Absolutely. you serve? Absolutely. I would like to do it without the camera on. Can I ask why? I think that is a little bit aggressive. That's why why is it aggressive? I'm, on I'm behalf of the American people, I'm just asking why he has not been here until Donald Trump He's came. Asked them. He's asked three several times for them to turn the cameras off, and they will not do it. Unbelievable. What? He's the press secretary. <laughs> what do you think? The press secretary. Well, How often do, do people like her come in front, answer questions, and the cameras are going? Why would you not want to be recorded? There's only one reason why. Deniability. Well, yeah, one reason she she's that generation that likes to sit home in their in their uh, underwear and, and blog, you know, and don't want to uh, meet people face to face. I mean, she's the press secretary. I mean, well, you know, it was interesting. Another journalist asked about Buttigieg because we talked about this yesterday. The fact that he 
was being uh, asked questions while he was on a walk with his husband. A personal walk, yeah. Yeah, he said, oh, mm-hmm. this is my personal time. Then he turns around and, and I think was an act of intimidation, says, well, let me take a picture of you. Mm-hmm. So her boss is trying to intimidate journalists by taking their picture. She is a press secretary, and she won't answer questions on camera. Did Pete have on a hard hat and some cute booties or you know, it's interesting. He I did have a hard that. hat on. Did he? Really? And he had his leather dress boots on. Did not have work shoes on. Hmm. <laughs> they, they, they weren't light loafers, though. Okay. <laughs> By yeah. the way, they uh, found out supposedly that the uh, train had an overheated bearing or something, and that's what uh, caused the derailment, mm-hmm. which... Uh, I, I'm, I, I, this, that's out of my league. I'm not going to make any comments on it, but, uh, but it is interesting because right now you're starting to get feedback as if because Norfolk Southern is a private uh, company that is out of government control, that that's, that's why this happened. They don't care enough. And, and it's like, okay, so they wanted to have this. I mean, how many millions and millions of dollars is this going to cost Norfolk Southern? And the attitude is that they don't care. I think they care. I don't think they want the lawsuits and the cleanup and the wreck cars and everything else that's that's is going to be on their ledger sheet right now. Yeah, it's the same thing. You'll hear these, and I'm gonna just call them like like it is. I mean, they're Marxists. I mean, they'll they'll come out now and they'll trash the private sector. Everything's got to be nationalized. And, and they say, yep, everything's got to be nationalized. You know, same thing when you see you know hurricanes and tornadoes and yep. storms and things like that. Never let a good crisis go to waste. No. Hey, our thanks to Jim Perry for the uh, legislative update. Already getting some uh, emails in from folks telling us how much they enjoyed it. And, uh, hey, listen, we'll do it again tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Stay tuned. The Kidwell, uh, Keith and Proctor Kidwell are up next on 1037 and Cable 7. And uh, Benny and I will be back tomorrow at 5. Well, I will be anyway. We'll see when Benny comes back. He's got taxes himself. (laughs) All right. Have a great night. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right.